Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Drive Through FM. And it's been a little bit of time since I did an actual proper Drive Through FM episode. Now, of course, this is being sort of simul broadcast on the Drive Through FM feed as well as the YouTube channel. And I have been sharing some of my top 10 lists and things like that over to the Drive Through FM feed. But it's been a real long while since I did a proper Drive Through FM where I sit down review a handful of games, and then just kind of dive into kind of a general topic. But I'm very excited for those two reasons, to sit down and uh, knock out some reviews. They'll be quick reviews today, and then also kind of dive into a topic. And as you can tell from the title of the episode, Linguistics, Capitalism, Happiness, Games, is the topic of the day here. And I've had a lot of fun doing the mini-vlog on the YouTube channel that kind of started off as sort of just a kind of a side note to my Stargrave review video, which I did a couple of months ago. And I got a lot of folks asking me about uh, the particular war bands and the models that I used to play through some of the games of or Stargrave. And I just put that together, kind of gave a quick rundown of that. And I thought, oh, I'll do like a little mini vlog about minis. Uh, but then I just said, you know, I could do mini vlogs about mini topics. Uh, whenever I want and so I did that and I've done a few of those and it's kind of snowballed a little bit had some good back and forth with everybody lots of good comments and really good discussion frankly uh, and then kind of out from that sort of organically uh, there's also a board game geek kind of beginner guide uh, that uh, came out of that discussion and then also some other discussions as well and kind of not culminating but kind of moving forward into this topic uh, this sort of uh, pretty, I would say, ethereal, esoteric, maybe kind of a nonsense topic, uh, but stuff that's kind of a, uh, let's call it a tertiary hobby of mine. Uh, some of this stuff has been since college in a way. Uh, so some interesting discussions about language and so on and how kind of games relate to some of that. Now, as far as like what I've been playing lately, uh, not a lot of different games. So my main game group is not getting back together on a regular basis quite yet. Although we have, you know, had some game days. So what I've mostly been doing, frankly, is replaying through Warhammer Quest Blackstone Fortress with some folks that had never uh, played through it. And we're about done with the base game campaign. I think it's probably maybe two more sessions. We'll get through it. Uh, and that's been a lot of fun. Uh, I have, I mean, everybody knows on the, if you watch this channel at all, I really enjoy that game and it's been fun to kind of play through, uh, with everybody. And I've got all this terrain for it. That's 3d printed. I've done some videos on that stuff. And, uh, so I haven't had, a, had a chance to play through the game at all since I got all that terrain painted up and anything. So it makes it a little bit more fun in a way. So I've been doing that, also been playing uh, Charterstone uh, with the family uh, as a campaign. So we've just kind of been dedicated to that and really been enjoying that. Uh, I would just say kind of as a review angle, it's kind of starts off a little bit simplistic, but now it's kind of starting to get rolling a little bit. And so I'm looking forward to our next game session of that. And then with another kind of splintered off uh, group of some of the gamer group folks, uh, we have started playing Oath. Uh, and that's a new game. Obviously, it's a big uh, hot game this year. Played a couple of games of that so far. Got a couple of more probably scheduled here in a couple of weeks. And so I think I'll do a review of that. I'm actually not super sure about my sort of uh, review of it. There's a lot of things I really, really like. There's a lot of great stuff in the game. 
but I really need to play through a little bit more of the overall arc of a campaign, which is kind of where, I don't know, some of the best parts of the game are that aspect of it and how it kind of stuff carries over from one game to the next. But I think there's a, for me anyway, there's a big sort of, I don't know if I'd call it a flaw or something that just misses with me, but I'm not sure yet. Um, so I'm definitely going to give it a couple more plays and then we'll see if, uh, if, I, if I really love it or if I'm kind of mediocre on it or where I'm at with it. Uh, but I've been enjoying it so far. So it's definitely been worth the plays and worth the effort to uh, get some games in. We've been playing it four player and the same four players are going to come back again for a couple more games. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, the only other thing is I was able to get out to the local game store here and play in an Age of Sigmar third edition tournament. It was the first tournament that they had uh, since the new edition and had a lot of fun in that. I only won one game, but that's okay. Uh, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed third edition and I got just got to say, I don't think any of those folks out there listening to this podcast, maybe one of them does, but um, it really such a great community out this place. It's uh, the Gamers Haven over in Spokane. And there was 24 people, actually. And I thought there was only 18 or 20, but it's actually 24 folks showed up. And everybody was super helpful with each other. There was lots of new players, lots of, you know, kind of longtime competitive style players. And it was really fun environment because it was a new addition. And everybody was, you know, correcting each other, helping each other, even pointing out strategic tips and stuff like that. Uh, so that was a really good experience, kind of a heartwarming experience. I actually had like a tinge of an anxiety, uh, you know, on my way driving out there. It's about 45 minutes from my house. And I hadn't played Age of Sigmar with people <laughs> in a while, uh, you know, because of COVID and everything. And then I hadn't actually got out to the shop and played for a few months uh, before COVID. So it's probably almost been almost two years since I played at the shop, you know, against a real opponent. Um, you know, for my uh, review of third edition, that was all solo playthroughs. Uh, so I get a little bit of anxiety, you know, kind of built up. I think it was just excitement. And, uh, but once we started rolling dice in that first game, you know, then I was just, just right in there and I was like, oh, everybody's just happy to be here, happy for a new edition, happy to be back, kind of, you know, kind of sort of starting to come out of the fog of COVID and everything. Uh, so it was just a great, great uh, day. Uh, so that's kind of my general what I've been playing idea here, uh, uh, you know, real recently. And now these other games I've had a chance to play over the last you know, couple of months. But uh, I'll just be honest with you up front. These are, as per usual with the drive through FM, mostly negative. Although what I'm going to do is obviously the, the same sort of routine is work from the really negative to the mostly positive uh, stuff there. So there's not going to be all... Uh, the doldrums here of the review bucket. Uh, so let's just go ahead and, and dive right in. And the first one should be stuck in the doldrums, I, I think. I don't want to come off too harsh, you know, I don't like to do that. But there's this game system that looks really, really neat. It's called Blinks. And it's these little sort of programmable hexes that each of them can have like a game programmed into its individual hex. And then you sort of magnetize and connect them to other hexes in the Blink system. And by pushing uh, little buttons on the hex, it's like each hex has kind of a depressed thing. It's like almost like a giant button. And you push it and it'll share the rules for its game out to the other hexes. And then each, and each one will tell you like how many hexes to use. So you kind of share them up and line them up. And then you will uh, sort of activate the game. And then you go in and play it. And then the rules are there for you to to learn in the rule book and play. And it was kind of a nightmare. And 
when it did work, because it was really finicky about getting it to actually work, it was very flaky. It didn't always work out right. You'd have to like try it, you know, three, four times, and then like, oh, the rules would take, and then you'd be away and playing. But none of the games were even the least bit interesting to me. I tried, it's been a little while, I think I tried three or maybe four of them, and I actually got to work and, uh, you know, play through a game of it, and it just was no good. And I was really kind of excited for it. I like the technology aspect of it uh, and just, you know, sort of the possibilities of this idea. It's a really cool idea, but it just didn't work out in the, term, in the case of uh, Blinks there. So I would recommend folks stay away from this. I think it's a little bit pricey, actually. I think you can look at about 100 bucks for it. Uh, there might be an addition that you can get that doesn't have as many hexes. That's a little bit cheaper than 100 bucks, I think. Uh, but I would 100% uh, steer clear of, of blinks. Okay, so that's that one. <laughs> and then the next one is called Mazescape and did not have too much fun with this one. This one, I don't know. I When I first saw it, I was a little bit interested in it. But then it just does not really play out in a way that was a lot of fun. So these are kind of like those old maze books that you can get. You can you know open the book and you get a little pencil out and you draw uh, through the maze and you try to get yourself out of it, which is a fine activity when you're like eight years old. I mean, I remember having a lot of fun with those. But this is interesting because it gives you sort of a booklet and then you get a pen, but it doesn't have any you know marking on it. It's just sort of like a, a little marker. There's no ink or lead or anything in it. And you just kind of trace where you're going. And when you get to kind of the end of the booklet, you'll fold it open, which will reveal more of the maze. And you can kind of go back and forth. And there's little like checkpoints that you can get to on some of the mazes and you get extra points by doing that. And it was really not that interesting. It wasn't really a game. It was just kind of a more of an activity. And frankly, a list of like frustrating to play because it, I kind of expected more out of this and more, uh, I don't know, something to gamify it a little bit more than just going to uh, different points and trying to unfold and refold the map and then go back, you know, start over and all this stuff. It just wasn't really that interesting at all. And uh, it had some buzz. So I was a little bit like, oh, it seems like some people like this, but I just actually, it's like, I don't get it <laughs> with this one. Maybe I'm completely out of left field, out of the water on this one, but it just really was not something that um, I could recommend to anybody at, at all. Uh, so that's Mayscape, and I, there was two of them. I think there might be more than two. There's a couple that you can get, and I tried both of them uh, that I got there and really didn't enjoy them at all. It's just it's just like a maze. You're just drawn in a maze and move around. There's like little objectives, and sometimes you have to like go to one point before you go to another, but it's just a little bit dressed up uh, maze that you would have played when you were a kid. Anyway, so that's Mayscape. Uh, the next one is Red Rising. This is from uh, Stonemaier Games. And I was interested in this one because I had heard of a game called Fantasy Realms, which this is sort of mechanically uh, based on. Uh, now, thematically, it's based on a series of novels, which I've not read. Uh, but what this really is, is you have this huge stack of cards, like 150, 160 cards, and they all have different abilities and scoring opportunities and just all kinds of special ability text all over the cards. And there's like three discard piles and there's a couple of tracks for scoring different things. And so on your turn, basically play a card and then draw a card. And where you play the card is going to activate an effect because each of those different discard piles that are out there on the board, the place where that discard pile is at 
has an effect. So when you play there, you get a certain effect. And then you get an effect for also playing the card sometimes. Uh, and But at the end of the game, after you you know go through several rounds, you'll have a hand of cards that you're left with. And that will have some scoring combinations and abilities and stuff like that. So you're trying to sort of you know, kind of just dig and fish out and then build a good hand of cards and have a cool effect. So it kind of reminded me, I've not played Fantasy Realms, it kind of reminded me of Fairy Tale, which is like an old drafting game, and probably a little bit even more distant of a cousin of Seven Wonders. More like Fairy Tale than Seven Wonders. Because it's kind of like you're sort of drafting at the table together, you're discarding to the same kind of discard pile, so it's a little, got like a Lost Cities vibe where you're playing and discarding, playing and discarding, or if you've not played Lost Cities, like a gin, gin rummy uh, style thing. And But I didn't really like it because... The problem is, is there's so many cards in the deck and you just cannot know with any sort of certainty uh, what's going on. So it's just kind of a crapshoot. And then after it seemed like I played it twice now and it seemed like halfway through the game, you just would kind of like, I think my hand's good. <laughs> I don't really want to do anything. But then you might see something, you know, be like, oh, well, I could have done that better. But then I'm going to break this combo I spent the last few turns, you know, trying to do. And I will grant that there's some a little bit of tension there. Like, well, if I kind of go for that and, you know, sort of break this other combo, I potentially get more points. But depending on the number of players and whatnot, it's two to six player game. Uh, things could just kind of really shift and change by the time it gets back around you, especially with you have a lot of players at the table. So it just, I don't know, it just fall, fell really flat. Now, the production is great. All the components are great. The artwork's great. Um... The theme kind of sort of fits, but not really. And that's the theme of sort of drafting and collecting these special characters, you know, that I, I assume exist in the novels. So kind of build your team of, of uh, spies and, uh, you know, political type folks and that kind of thing and intrigue at the court type of uh, characters. You know, you put them together and score points. So the acts of doing all that stuff is thematic, but then the way that they score the points also is just like, oh, this is just like any card game, you know, that you uh, that you can think of. Uh, so anyway, at the end of the game, I didn't really enjoy uh, Red Rising uh, at all. Uh, so that's that's Red Rising. Uh, next one is called Imperium. This one's from Osprey Games. There's actually two editions of that. There's, there's like a historical edition and then a mythological edition. I didn't play with the mythological one. I played with just the historical one. This one... Uh, I think a lot of people will end up liking this one. I did not care for it because it's sort of dressed up as a civilization game. And you, what you do is you have, I think there's probably eight or this, I think there's more than eight actually, different decks that you can get. And they each kind of represent a different civilization or different mythology. And uh, so you have your own little deck there and you have these sort of uh, unique cards that are unique to your deck and you'll be playing the cards. And well, I should say, you actually will seed some of the common decks with some of your cards as well. And so you have kind of, you sort of draft them in a way through the course of the game. And you're just kind of building like a tableau, like Race of the Galaxy or San Juan and trying to get out special abilities and uh, generate resources and stuff like that. Um, the problem is, is it's pretty abstract. I would say it's as abstract, maybe even more so than Race for the Galaxy because you have those uh, asymmetric decks. So you've got to kind of learn every time you grab a new deck it's going to be kind of a new learning experience and i will sort of grant that the mechanics in this are definitely interesting 
And uh, it is somewhat enjoyable to kind of go through the motions there and kind of learn kind of the idiosyncrasies of, of the different decks. But at the end of the day, it's dressing itself up as a civilization game. But I absolutely did not feel any of that theme come across with this one. Um, it just once you kind of dig through that kind of surface level, initial level of the faction, then it just starts to be nuts and bolts and stuff kind of, you know, munched together. And it the theme just disappears completely for me. Uh, so, again, I only played the historical one, not the, I think it's called Legends, the mythological one. Uh, so maybe that one's a little bit different or better. Uh, I don't see how it could be. Now you can actually you can actually mix the two sets too if you want to do that. So this is one I would definitely put like in that try before you buy type of thing. And a little bit of bias here for me is when you dress something up as a civilization game. I don't know. Like I just come at it with like a these all of this baggage <laughs> and these sort of prerequisites that I want out of a game. Uh, uh, like Imperium. So, and there's really for me, there's Imperial Settlers and Imperial Settlers Empires of the North. Those are two civilization sort of themed or based card games that to me, uh, the way that those decks that you get in that game sort of unfold and sort of explode over the course of the game, it's just a lot more fun and a lot more civilization uh, feeling uh, than how it, how it was in Imperium. I don't know. I mean, it's a little bit of Monday morning quarterback with this, but I feel like they could have scaled it down. They kind of did too much out the gate and maybe they could have simplified it a little bit better. And I know they went with the icons for the, um, uh, you know, what do you call it? The language independence part of it. Uh, so that, that's a little bit of a barrier. And also, frankly, the rule book is, is pretty terrible. Uh, the first game of it, I played it twice. So the first, actually I should say, I probably played it once for real, but the first game was just an absolute nightmare. I was like, what is this? And where did, where did I find this in the rule book? The rule book was laid out not in a very great way. Anyway, so that's Imperium. Enough about that one. Uh, the next one is, and I feel stupid because I made this list already. And then I've already, you know, made my thoughts. And the next one actually won the Spiel of Jars. And I'm going to come here and bag on it. And this is uh, Micro Macro. So I will say, we'll get the positive stuff out of the way. This is a very, very neat game. And it's very innovative, and I can kind of see why it won the Spiel de Jar, and and I can see why people like it because I've talked to some other folks, and they're like, "You're crazy! It's really fun." And I'm like, "Yeah, I get it, but I don't like to do this type of activity with my time." Now, I'm not calling it a game versus an activity because I think it is teetering on the game side, although it is kind of have that activity vibe. But I don't care about that argument. Game versus activity. Are you having fun? Okay. So Micro Macro is a thing. It's basically like a giant glorified Where's Waldo. Uh, but the cool thing is about this is you have like this giant image with all of these people in, uh, they could be at the market, they could be at the fair, they could be walking down the street. And this is huge like city of, of people all doing different things. And you have a crime that's happened and it'll give you like a starting point. And then you kind of have to look around for evidence and clues, which will then lead you to another clue, which will lead you to another clue, which will lead you to another clue. That's a really cool because you'd be looking and it's been, I think, a couple of months actually since I played this. And so I'm going to make something off the top of my head. You could, there's no spoilers coming. And you'll see, oh, this guy slipped on a banana peel. Okay, so you got to look. Oh, there's the banana peel. But you can see, oh, this little uh, dastardly character with like a little thief mask or something like laying banana peels 
along the road or something. And so you'll follow him around and then you'll, that'll lead you to the next thing. You'll find his warehouse where he's manufacturing these, you know, banana peels to trip people up and, and then, so they slip and then he can uh, mug them or something. You know, I'm making that up completely off the top of my head. So the way that you go through this sort of daisy chain trail idea, it's sort of unravel future parts of the story. That's really, really neat. Okay. So this is not a game where, you know, I'd put it down here with the rest of these games that I've been talking about. This is where I'm starting to go, oh, I appreciate this game, but I don't really like playing Where's Waldo. Like I, this is something it's hard to explain. I think a lot of people will understand what I'm saying, but, um, you know, it, it's not for me to sit there and stare at something and then try to just find some hidden, you know, drawing inside of something. You know, I don't like to do that. I just really don't like to look at things that way. Um, and I know that's not very like a concrete sort of judgmental thing. It's, it's, it's definitely a personal thing. And I think it's something I've never liked a Where's Waldo thing or staring at those things where you like, it's like a 3D picture and then you stare, the, stare at it for 30 seconds and then you see it. Anything like, I just can't deal with that. It's just something I'm like, my brain is like, shut up. Just do something else. You got you got better things to do, my friend, than sit there and look at a picture. Um, so I don't like what my body's doing, what my mind's doing during this time. But I totally appreciate uh, what Micro Macro does. Because in those moments that I was playing it, I was like finding the different, like, oh, that's neat. This guy's related to that. That's cool. And then you get stuck. And me, if I'm stuck for like 30 seconds, I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I, I don't want any more to do with this. So that's Micro Macro. Again, this is, I think for me, it's a try before you buy. A lot of people are raving about this game. So definitely take a look at it. Because if you, if you don't mind that kind of activity, then I think Micro Macro will be something you could enjoy. Not for me, though. So I got two more games now, um, and these are definitely, you know, a little bit more positive like Micro Macro was. Uh, the next one is uh, Juicy Fruits. This is from Capstone Games, and this is an absolutely uh, gorgeous game. It's basically you're like on an island, and you have these little like fruit stands, and you're sort of trying to generate fruit to sell and to get, sort of uh, incorporate like other kinds of businesses into your little uh, player board. So each player has a player board, and you've got little fruit uh, tiles that you slide. Well, you slide it as far as you can. And the number of spaces that you slide it is the number of fruit that you'll generate. So you'll generate that fruit and you'll slide these different things around. And once you have sort of a different assortment of uh, fruit, you can trade it in for like a contract or like a, a ship, a boat shipment basically, or you can trade it in and get like a certain business. So if you trade it in for a boat shipment, those boat tiles start on your player board. So you're starting to clear more room so you can slide your fruit tiles farther and farther to generate more fruit. Uh, but if you get a business, which is another tile, and those will come from like a main board in the center of the table, if you get one of those, those will either give you like end game bonus points or other special abilities. And then those will go up and on your main board or your player board, but those, those will take up room. So your tile movement sliding action gets a little bit slowed down, a little bit hampered. So there's a cool kind of balancing act there between, you know, just kind of taking the strategy of I'm just going to ship as much fruit as I can and get as many points that way or getting businesses like you can get, I think it's called like an ice cream cone stand or something or a lemonade stand and that kind of stuff too. You can get points that way. Um, and it's really cool and it's really neat and it's really presented as a family game and it's really close, I think, to being a good family game. But the setup is a little bit cumbersome. 
you know, it's not anything that, you know, somebody that's used to playing a lot of board games can, can't deal with. Uh, but there's a very particular way that you have to set up the boat tiles on each board. So that's going to be a little bit of an explanation to get people to do that. It's not the end of the world, but it is there. Uh, I'm just kind of saying this from the point of view of somebody that were to go to Target and say, oh, this game looks pretty. Pick it up. They're going to be like, what is this setup rules? Because uh, it's a little bit convoluted at first, but once you do it, you're good. And then you set up all of the different businesses and that kind of stuff and the bonuses on the main board. And again, this has kind of the issue of the iconography and all, and there's a lot of different special abilities and things and end game bonuses and stuff. Uh, so, it, and that part's neat, but again, as a family game, which is this, this is presented as, I think there's a sticker or a little, you know, uh, bubble on the box that says, this is a family game. This is for families. Like that's going to be overwhelming having all of those uh, special abilities and things like that. So that's just kind of a nebulous thing, but uh, I think it keeps it from being probably a really good family game. Now, at the end of the day, this is a neat game because, again, you have the balancing act between clearing your board or adding more stuff to your board, which is what's going to help you. But clearing the board is kind of like those immediate points, that that sort of immediate sort of uh, tasty victory that's right there in front of you. But you have to kind of balance that between uh, getting some special abilities that you might have to marinate a little bit, and then your engine will pick up. But at the end of the day for me, I really didn't like the sliding the tile thing around. To me, that was just like the most boring thing. I move a tile, two spaces, cool, two bananas, uh, two tomatoes, or whatever the different fruit was. And I just didn't uh, didn't jive with me. I did not uh, have a lot of fun with it. Um, I will say that I, I played this two and three player, and I think this is best as a two player game as well. Because the once we just added that one more player, that's when the game sort of became tedious to me. Um, where it's like, oh, I got to wait for two people to do this now. Even though it's quick, it's very strange because it feels like, oh, they're just dun dun dun, you know, oh, move a tile, move a tile, move a tile. Um, so just like the the rope mechanism of doing that action, just something is similar to the micro macro, but just kind of in a different way. It's like I just don't like doing this. I don't like doing this. I'd rather, you know, put a worker on a space. It's a very strange thing. Uh, we're going to get to that probably in the actual topic of the episode, but I just did not, I did not like speaking the language of this game, uh, but I can appreciate for it being a very interesting kind of thing, but I just didn't like sliding the tile and getting fruit. I just was not an exciting uh, thing. You know, I'd rather jump rope or something, you know what I mean? So, um, but it's a kind of a neat game and I want to just kind of highlight in this case, the two player experience, which I thought was actually uh, for me, had some merit to it. Um, and there's a little bit of a kind of a race aspect. Oh, I forgot. I did actually try this solo, and I did not like it at all solo. I just <laughs> That's how much I didn't like it. I blocked it out. Uh, but the two-player game is interesting because there's a little bit of a race there. There's a tension in the tile sliding thing. So there's like an optimization puzzle that's kind of going on in your brain. When you're looking, okay, oh, I can slide the cherries here, move the bananas here, then I can afford the business, and then this, and this, and this, and this will happen. But a Billy across the table, I can see, oh, he's going for bananas. He's going for this. So he might be able to get that before me. So maybe I can slide these others in this different order and get this other business or ship this other boat. So that little like calculation in there is kind of cool. Uh, so, But to me, it worked best at a two-player game because with more, it just kind of threw stuff all out of the way. And then I'm spending time like counting people's fruits and bananas and stuff and 
I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't care anymore, you know, cause it's just, I'm just counting people's fruit. And that was like, I don't, sometimes I like to count things in games and it's like, okay, I'm counting this. I'm counting that. They drew me this many cards. Okay. So I've got this much time left. But a lot of times I don't like to count. I'm just, I can like, okay, I'm playing a counting game. Um, and that is not necessarily, uh, the fun game when I can count stuff out kind of so precisely, it gets a little bit dry on that side. Now, I will say, uh, of the folks I played it with, one person did like it, and the other also didn't really care for it too much. So, again, I think this is going to be kind of a, uh, you know, dependent kind of thing. Definitely take a look at it. Try it maybe before you buy it. Your family might have some good luck with this. And it's a gorgeous production. It looks great. Uh, so, I recommend it from that aspect. So, anyway, that's Juicy Fruits. Now, the last game I'm going to be completely unfair to in a certain respect uh, because this is actually a really neat game. It's called Atlantis Rising. And uh, this was, I got a chance to play the second edition of the game. It came out, I think, four, three, four years ago. And the theme is really cool. Uh, basically, you are a citizen of Atlantis and you're trying to save it before it gets consumed uh, by the sea. And you're trying to build this sort of space station contraption to teleport your giant city to another dimension, you know. And. Uh, there are these islands that are kind of sticking out of the center of the board and all of the little spaces of those different islands or peninsulas, I guess you should call them, are little worker placement spaces that you can go and do an action or roll some dice and generate some resources and so on. And over the course of the game, you're flipping these event cards that are eating away uh, the edges of these peninsulas. So those worker placement action spaces are getting dwindled and dwindled and dwindled away. And the really good ones, the, the very efficient ones are at the end. They're of the they have the most chance to be flooded. So the very interesting part about this game, probably the coolest part, is you take your worker and you put it on one of these spaces. But before you activate it, you actually have to do the event phase before you resolve the action. So it's possible that that space gets flooded and you can't actually do it. So there's a kind of a gambling push your luck aspect here. And the other part of that is there's no turns. So the players will sit around uh, the table. Now, I played all of my games of this solo. But you can all sit around and just negotiate or discuss where you want to put workers. And so you'll put workers out on spaces. And sometimes space will require two workers. But you will share the resources out of that space if two different players, uh, you know, put workers there. So you can say, hey, let's both go there because we both need these, uh, this ore or this uh, vibranium or whatever it's called. And to build the special uh, equipment thing, which is going to be a piece of the space station, which is also going to give you special ability, and you're going to take off. And so that's I like that aspect of it because it's like pure sort of discussion, no turns. And then the whole push your luck side where it's like, let's put our workers out. We're all going to decide collectively, and then we're going to see how badly screwed we get based on how the events go. So that's neat. The special abilities are really neat of different uh, like technologies that you can build. And then you kind of add them to the center of this main kind of, you know, super dimensional space station. And once you build them all, then you can take off. Uh, and you have to do that before the whole, uh, the whole city floods. And so it's really neat. But I have been uh, beta testing and playing Return to Dark Tower. And this game really kind of reminds me of that game. And I've really prefer uh return to dark tower i we played it uh, quite a bit as a group and i actually reached out to restoration games to see if i could even mention this because as i was playing atlantis rising i was like oh 
okay, this feels a lot like Return of Dark Tower, and I would just rather, much rather go play that. Now, granted, this other game's a couple of years old, and Return of Dark Tower is not even out yet. It should be out by the end of the year. Uh, but Restoration Games said, no, it's fine. You can go ahead and talk about it. Just do kind of a, a pre-review or something, which I will just do in kind of contrast with, with this game. So actually, I would recommend Atlantis Rising, but in the back of my head, I'm like, well, if you wait a little bit, you might be able to pick up Return to Dark Tower for a decent amount, uh, you know, once it goes to actual retail. I don't know what retail is going to be. I assume it's going to be, you know, more expensive than Atlantis Rising because it's going to come with this ta electronic tower and everything. But uh, I've really, really loved the uh, evolution that I've seen through the course of the playtesting and some of the iterations and stuff that they've done with Return to Dark Tower. Now, the similarities here are... You are moving a circular fa uh, fashion around the board, and instead of you know peninsulas kind of stretched out as like arms going out from the center of the city, you have this huge tower in the middle, which is evil. You don't want anything to do with the tower until you're ready to fight. You know whoever is uh, the particular mastermind of whatever quest you're currently on for the tower. But you move around the board, and you're kind of like putting out fires on the different sort of uh, regions of the board. It's like a north, south, east, and west region stretching out from the central tower and there's little you know uh, areas in there that could be you know mountain regions or plains and that kind of stuff and you're fighting monsters and there is like that push your luck aspect where you go in and you fight the monster and you're not sure exactly what abilities it's going to have or what sort of uh, let's just call it attacks it's going to throw at you and uh you have to kind of uh, and this is this is kind of a later change that they made. It just makes the game so so much cooler. As once you get into a battle with a monster, you've got to kind of slowly uh, fight through it. Or there's even like little dungeons that you can go through, and you go through them in the app. And you've got to sort of like push your luck as you go through them. And it's just super thematic. And the there's an app that goes through and keeps track of your quests. So if you fail a quest in you know one season. You know, come up to season four and that wizard that was around is going to come back and like nuke this whole area or start to just devastate uh, some of the villages or whatever and that kind of thing. Uh, so it's just this massively cool experience and you have these this tower that spins around and drops skulls at you and you're just dealing with all this stuff. Um, and it's just such an amazing experience. Um, and the whole time I was playing The Last Rise, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just very, very similar in some ways where you're sort of circling around the board in a lot of ways um, and, you know, trying to just uh, shore up some of the different shorelines or get resources out of certain spots. And there's a little bit of like a resource management thing in Return to Dark Tower 2 where you have like uh, warriors and your mana and that kind of stuff. And you're trying to get different items and the way you, you can like upgrade your uh, special abilities on the different characters and level them up and all that kind of stuff, kind of like upgrading the technologies. So if you're not interested in Rise, Return to Dark Tower, I would definitely recommend Atlantis Rising. But if you have any kind of inkling towards uh, kind of the same sort of idea, same kind of co-op vibe, uh, but maybe a little bit more grander of an experience with this you know cool toy factor and bling of the app and the tower and all that stuff, then I'm just like, um, man, I, I wish folks had Return to Dark Tower to play because I really want to talk about that game in more detail. So again, totally unfair to Atlantis Rising. Um, but again, like I said, the whole time playing it, I'm like, oh, I'd rather just go fire up Tabletop Simulator <laughs> and call Billy and say, hey, let's. Uh, you can want to play another game of Return to Dark Tower. Um, 
but again, so I just wanted to mention it here um, and uh, and recommend folks at least take a look at Atlantis Rising if you haven't already and be excited for Return to Dark Tower as well. So that is all of the reviews for this particular episode. Uh, we're going to jump into our topic here of linguistics, capitalism, happiness, games in just a minute. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Uh, so, like I said, we're going to talk about kind of a strange and meandering topic, but I will try to my best to keep it on the rails. And like I said, the title of the episode, Linguistics, Capitalism, Happiness, and Games, and the real focus, to be frank, is the linguistics side of it. Uh, so, as I mentioned in the beginning, I've been doing a lot of good uh, back and forth with a lot of the folks on the YouTube channel and the comments about a lot of different topics and we got stuck or I got stuck in sort of a thread of kind of plumbing a little bit of what was getting folks engaged with games in the first place uh, some of the stuff that they wish that they had known uh, when they started gaming and so on and as I also said I have this kind of weird side hobby that frankly turned into a YouTube rabbit hole uh, excursion a couple of weeks ago and I found a very interesting statement about games and what they're for and why games were even created. You know, why do they exist? Why do we like to play them? And why do we even try to do them? And it has to do with uh, language and discourse. So I was watching a couple of folks talk about uh, language and, and whether it was something that was like an innate thing that human beings, for example, were, were born with, or do we just, is it purely an environmental uh, development? It's a very interesting sort of conundrum, too. It's a little bit of a chicken and egg kind of thing because, you know, the first human, they didn't have necessarily a language, uh, but they probably did, right? Because they were able to look at things in the world and sort of build up some kind of arcane and probably a little bit clumsy description of everything that was going on around them and communicating that to, you know, whoever else was around them. And there is a lot more to language than the uh, spoken word or the written word even because you think about you know body language facial expressions all kinds of other things those are all in part and parcel of the human language and how we communicate to each other i mean how else would you have sarcasm and humor and all of those kind of things or necessarily uh, some of the more uh, so-called profound or impactful emotions like fear and joy and love um, those can be obviously be expressed with just, you know, the spoken word, let's say, but there's a lot of other ways to express that kind of stuff as well. And that brings us to uh, games. And so I'll just kind of throw out this hypothesis here or this sort of postulation and say games are like a creation of a puzzle uh, to solve. So we don't play games because they're an easy way to communicate. And, you know, if we wanted to do that, we would just sit down and talk to each other and tell each other a story or something like that. But if we set up this artificial construct in front of us and then try and have a, an agreed sort of set defined rule. So if you think of let's set up a chessboard in front of each other and we set up these pieces. So we come up, whoever came up with chess comes up with these rules and we agree to play by these rules. 
And so we know what those are and we know what kind of the boundaries are of it. And then we play through it and then we decide, okay, this person won, this person lost. And that's really what games are, is like setting up a language exercise in a lot of ways to uh, cover just about anything that you want. Because if you think of all the games that are out here today in the time of this recording in 2021, there's so many different types of games. I mean, you've got card games, you've got poker, you've got Warhammer, you've got Euro games, you've got social deduction games, you've got social games that are just social games, you know, telling each other stories, you've got role-playing games, uh, and you can go off into the computer game world. And so a lot of these are just sort of, you know, setting up constructs, trying to either tell us something, usually a thematic kind of story-driven thing. Even with some of the drier types of games, if you think of like an 18xx game, you know, it's, I guess you could say it's pretty dry compared to, you know, playing a game of Warhammer or Twilight Imperium or whatever you want to say. Um, but it's still telling us a story. It's still telling us something about, you know, economics or something like that. And I just found this a very interesting way to kind of think about, you know, what it is that a lot of us like to do with a lot of our spare time is setting up and agreeing upon this little problem statement, this puzzle uh, for us to kind of negotiate our way through based on a preset uh, rule set to maybe say what? I'm not really sure. That's the part where I'm not really sure. What What are we actually saying at the end? I mean, we're saying, oh, it was fun. Okay, that's great. Um, you know, why was it fun? Why was it not fun? Blah, blah, blah. I guess that's for everybody to decide on their own. But then it got me thinking as I was going through this YouTube rabbit hole, and I'm not actually going to name any of the people that were talking. I will just say there were people on the far left of the political spectrum and probably kind of the far right of the political spectrum. I'm not going to drop any names because <laughs> that's going to taint the conversation. And some of these videos and stuff that I was I was uh, sort of sucking this stuff out of uh, were not necessarily related to each other, but the algorithm, I think, had me in its little uh, lock and key there. Um, but the other part of that aspect is, okay, so now we've set up this sort of construct. We've set up a little system to agree on and these are the rules and this is what's going to happen and we're going to sit down for the next two three four hours whatever and play through it and then on the other side of that that why part of it the fun part of it the happiness part is going to come out of the other side of that so we've sat down and now agreed on a system for being happy together or being joyous together or being content together uh, ideally, I mean, that is not 100% of the outcome of every game. I mean, people can get upset or bored or, or not enjoy it. But the goal is to uh, have everybody have that feeling, uh, that kind of winning feeling. You, you know, hopefully, even if you lose, you still have that kind of winning feeling of I did good, I did better, oh, I see something I could do better, or I really enjoyed the story of it. So again, we sit down, we, we construct this system that we agree to play through, to sit down and and come on the other side of it. And we agree to kind of toil away a little bit of our free time, our spare time to do that. And I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of tie into sort of the happiness aspect. You'll see I'm skipping over capitalism. I'm gonna talk about linguistics. I'm gonna come back to capitalism. <laughs> but the happiness side of it, where if you think about um, aspects of joy or pleasure or whatever it is, there's not necessarily anything, I think, on the surface. I think a lot of us would disagree with this statement, but if if you were like a, a passerby, somebody that doesn't really play board games, and you walk by and saw people sitting around the table playing board games, you could probably look and see in 
infer a little bit of the sense of joy that they have if they were boisterous you know you would get something out of that if they were laughing you could see they were having a good time you could see the joy there but if they were sitting around playing an 18xx game that may not be obvious to the passerby that those people are actually having a really good time uh, and so there's this concept of kind of uh, happiness versus contentment versus just a lack of despair and a lack of existential crisis so if you think about what does it mean to actually be happy in this case so you could be happy like say riding a roller coaster so you're you're on this roller coaster it's, it's thrilling and it just your senses are just completely overwhelmed or you could go to a movie or something and this is a big you know any any kind of movie because it's a big screen and it's loud and uh, you know the story is is hyper dramatized so it's going to like excite whatever parts of your brain are really into that or you can think of like hedonistic you know types of pleasure and stuff like that and so that's going to really be probably more exciting or a large sports event you know for example uh, when, when you're in a crowd of 20,000 or 100,000 people uh, watching some exciting championship like the Super Bowl or something that's going to you know for some people that's going to excite uh, some of their pleasure centers but with the game with the happiness and the joy personally I've had some moments that will be similar to that especially with playing like a competitive game you know uh you know i can think of one time that i actually won a versus system trading card game tournament and got my ticket to go to southern california and play in the world championships from that that's uh that's a fun thing because the competitive side of it um now if i'm sitting around just playing like a euro game or any game with my friends and the winning part of that is not the same as it is from playing for money basically so, but there is still a lot of fun with that, but it, it's not really that different from losing and winning. As long as I played well and I lost maybe by a dice roll or lost by a few points or whatever, and maybe I made some mistake, you know, three quarters of the way through the game, the emotional level there is not that much different. Like when I win, I don't get extra excited, you know, because I beat my friends versus, you know, if I came in second or third or last place, you know, it's not that much different. I don't like to come in last, but <laughs> you know what I mean? So... It's different. So there's a difference there between like the happiness side of it and the contentment side of it. And there is something to be kind of said there to kind of step back and look at what is the difference between happiness and contentment? Um, because if you, you don't really, I mean, maybe some people do, but I don't think most people have to be at that pure exhilarated joy 24 hours a day for the rest of their life. I think you'd probably go a little nuts. It might actually be bad for you to be that 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 level of happy, like so excited and just jazzed. I don't think that's a good thing. Like you need to chill sometimes. Um, and so the game structure is very interesting because it's like we're setting up a chill time together. We're agreeing on a system to be happy, to chill, to be content. And that's what we're trying to do here with the game thing. But the other side of that is like, okay, let's look at a game. Okay, so a game deconstructs or abstracts in some way probably some part of the real world now a very very abstract game maybe doesn't do that uh, but you know you can you can sort of inject a little bit of theme so if you look at chess it's pretty abstract but there's some representation there because you've got knights and and pawns and different things so you can say oh there are two armies fighting and jockeying for position or it's maybe an abstraction of two factions at court that are sort of positioning around each other but it's really abstract but a lot of games like i mentioned oath that's a little more grounded in theme 
there's a little bit more concrete stuff in there. There's descriptions of what's happening on the cards, you know, and there's different regions that you move to and the different landscapes and territories have different resources that can, they can give you stuff. And, you know, there's, there's a definite one-to-one or close to a one-to-one representation of the real world in a lot of these games. So if we're sitting around making these rules and these systems for us to be happy about these representations of what goes on in real life, then this is not all of my thoughts here, but this is some of the thoughts of what people are talking about with games and language and politics and capitalism and socialism and all these things, these different systems that you have that you can sit down and you can agree to a system of rules to be happy or at the very least to be content most of the time. And as I was going through my little YouTube rabbit hole, I thought, well, that's a kind of an interesting thought. You had one of those kind of meaningless epiphanies. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I, can, I, I will do nothing <laughs> with this information. But as I sat there and kind of thought about it, I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. Because, you know, some people use games uh, based on historical events. So they'll take a look back and usually it's some battle or something or some period of time. There's some political conflict or uh, economic sort of upheaval or transition like during the industrial age you can think of a game like brass where the you know the in- invention of uh the locomotive for shipping goods versus the canals you know that caused a change and so you can look at these games and kind of go and look at re-look at these events more abstractly than if you read a textbook probably about what was going on but you can engage with it in a different way and it may be in some cases if the game tries to do this or if it's a good game or whatever uh, you can look at more of the underlying principles the underlying systems within the systems about some of those economic aspects because we'll for example we'll never have a time again probably where we transition from canal shipping to locomotive shipping i mean we we don't really even even use locomotive shipping that much anymore we do a little bit but now we have airplanes and we have uh, trucks along uh, the highways and the interstates uh, in at least in a, you know in a fair bit of countries and uh, different things like that, and so we've got ways to deliver goods that are you know much different. The manufacturing means are much different, uh, but we can take a look at some of these ideas, um, and sometimes I think even by accident you'll look at some of these underlying principles and systems uh, in a game that you wouldn't necessarily look at in quite the same way as if you were just kind of purely studying it or purely living it even. And so kind of my my main final point here with this is to really just, you know, if you if you care to take a step back and look at the games that you've got in your collection. Think about some of the games that are out there. Think of some of the game experiences that you've had. And I would say, look at them like like this. I mean, you can shy away from this and that's fine. And and maybe it's a sort of a wacky thing. But to me, there is a certain amount of like ceremony and ritual and exercise involved when you sit down and play a game uh the designer whoever come up with the game they're kind of like the architect or the government in a way uh they they've they've given you the system it's like here's the blueprint right here's your architecture now go build your building build your space with this game and sit down and try to extract your happiness your contentment out of it and you can do this over and over and over again you can restart it you can play the game once and you can play it again and you can play it again you can change your rule you get the expansion to the game you get a new book or something for the game 
or you come up with it on your own. You house rule it. And you say, you know, we're going to play this game, but we're going to do a little bit different. And halfway through uh, the Canal Age and Brass, we're going to drop a bomb. <laughs> in the middle. You know, I'm just BSing a little bit there. But you can, you can come at these things in a different way, and you can set these up as sort of a regular practice for I'm going to set up and do this ritual. I'm going to do this little ceremony. I'm going to have this practice with my friends or my family or whoever and work through um, a whole vast you know, amount of issues, right? You can work through some of the concrete issues represented directly by the game, but you're also working through with each other, um, you know, your time together and, and your enjoyment of each other's company. And when I come back around to my kind of final thing here, that's kind of the point is to sit down and sort of short circuit your daily routine, the kind of rote, disgustingly, I will just say modern approach of life today, uh, and the sort of the machine manufacturing of, 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 uh, of capitalism or whatever, not this capitalism, but like the manufacturing of things. Um, and that's not capitalism isn't, isn't the only thing guilty of this at all. Uh, I mean, certainly socialism itself is like a giant machine or whatever. I'm just saying the mechanism of production and progress and, you know, making of stuff, which is part of board games, which is very, very strange, and also part of miniature games and part of role-playing games because they make books. But you take these little pieces of detritus that are manufactured by the giant organism of the people of Earth, and you can carve out these little moments of contentment and joy and pleasure and speak to each other through this kind of language of, of games. And I think that's important. And so that's kind of, at the end, it's like, this is an important time to set aside and to carve out for yourself, for your family, for your friends, for whoever, and allow yourself that little excursion into sort of this other sort of language, right? This other sort of way of communicating. Uh, uh, and it's almost like a leisure communication uh, which is really what the end of the day should be. It shouldn't just be about more and more production and more and more, uh, you know, giving to the system and giving to the central whoever. It's about carving out those times of leisure so when you're happy and fed and safe and all that stuff, you have those moments because otherwise, what the hell is the point? Um, and so that's one. I just wanted to kind of work through that process with anybody that's still listening and just kind of look at things like that and look at why I think games are important and what they're actually kind of doing sort of underneath the covers, whether or not, you know, let's throw away the mechanics, shut off the theme, shut off all this stuff and look at kind of the underlying uh, systems and what's really kind of happening uh, with what you're actually doing, you know, what you're actually spending your time doing. So it's a little bit kind of rambling. Obviously, I'm not like a professional philosopher or uh, linguistic or psychologist or anything like that, but... I found this whole kind of thread uh, that YouTube, the algorithm, seemed to really uh, throw me into. Very, very interesting. So anyway, that is that is the topic. I will wonder if I get any comments or anything on this. Uh, but I figured I'll do it. It's just been kind of burning in the back of my brain for about a month now. So, And I had accrued enough games to review that I was like, ah, let me get some more games out there and uh, let folks know what I've been doing and stuff like that. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, definitely, again, appreciate any comments or feedback or anything. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a slow burn here. I think we're going to start to pick up with some more games coming out for Gen Con and Essen and Origins and all that stuff in the fall. Um, so yeah, there we go. Okay, thanks everybody. Appreciate it.